Yes, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Dribble Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian newspaper, taking you through another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx and WA Basketball in general to give you the best insight possible into what is happening in the sport throughout this state. And it'd be fair to say there's been a lot happening at the Perth Wildcats throughout 2022. Uh, what has occurred since that loss to Tasmania on March 24 really has been unprecedented. There was a start with them obviously winning only four of 13 home games. We've seen the 35-year uh, playoff streak come to an end. We've seen them lose five consecutive games for the first time since 2005, and a big loss to Tassie was their fourth largest in club history in the 40-minute era. And the 4-5 start is their worst start to a season since 2008-2009. So they've had some challenges, it's fair to say. But they are 4-5, as I said, and they'd be believing that they can recover from this and go through the season and still make the playoffs. So there's so many questions from so many people, and the man who has agreed to put his hand up and come and answer the questions is the general manager of basketball operations, Danny Mills. Danny's in the studio. Really appreciate you coming in. Welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate you having us. You've done this a few times and some of them, some have been when things are going really well. Some have been when it's been going a little bit of a challenge and it's a bit of a challenge at the moment. This club sets so many high standards for so long. What's been the, ch- the biggest um, issue that you've faced, do you think, uh, in terms of maintaining those standards since that time when you came back from the interstate and basically since March? Yeah, so it's been definitely been challenging. Um, it's been about 12 months since I've been on the ground, for 15 months since we took the job. There's been a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, yeah, anytime you come into a, into a club that's got the history and tradition and, and winning tradition like Perth has, um, there's, there's going to be a, a process of change and there's going to be ups and downs. And, you know, you've got you to ride the highs and, and, and live with the lows, and that's what we're doing at the moment, um, you know, you know, we obviously had Scott last year. We've brought John in this year as, as our head coach. Um, and we're at four and five at the FIBA break and not where we want to be, but we feel like we've definitely um, got the right pieces and we're just going to make it work over the next, you know, two thirds of the season. So you won the first three and looked, and looked really good at that point. Then you lost five and you beat Adelaide. And as you said, now we've got the FIBA break. So we're seeing good, bad and ugly throughout mm. the entire course of these nine games. How would you describe what's been, what it's been like internally throughout those nine games? Yeah, what I would say is like process isn't linear, right? There's ups and downs, and we're, and we're riding that. Like you said, I thought we had a good preseason. We finally had a preseason where we had a lot of guys in early, and we had a good two months um, where guys were healthy, and, and, and we had the imports in early. Um, so we went four and one in preseason, um, three and zero to start the season, and then we go on that five game skid. Obviously, not what we expected. Um, and then we go ahead, and, and, and then we have a good performance against Adelaide. So it's, it's up and down. I think you're seeing that along the along with the rest of the league as well. So we're four and five, but we're two games out of second, who's six and three. So it, it's still really close. I mean, this league's really competitive. Um, and so I think, in general, are we where we want to be? No, but are we that far off the mark? I don't think so. I, th- I think we've definitely got the right pieces, and John and I are working through with the rest of the staff to see how we can create this consistency going forward instead of having these 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 high highs and these and these low lows. One of the challenges of being involved with the Wildcats is more people care about this club than any other team in the country and more people care about this club than some teams combined when, when you think about it. And uh, there's been a lot of focus on you on court and off court and Hutchie's name is constantly in social media and it's constantly in our paper. Let's be really honest, you're sick of Hutchie being <laughs> being raised all the time, by certainly by us and certainly by a lot of uh, fans. Why shouldn't the, the their angle be directed towards Hutchie and why should it be directed towards you guys, given some of the comments that have been made in the past about taking blame for things and things like that? Yeah, I guess, first of all, I mean, the attractiveness to this job is the fan base and how much people revere the club and you got to have to ride the highs and, and live with the lows. And 
obviously for someone like Hutchie, he's a very public figure um, and he's going to be the brunt of a lot of these um, disgruntled fans, which th- th- they're all entitled to their opinion, which, which they should. They're paying customers and, and we, we, we embrace that as, um, as people that are leading the club going forward. Um, in terms of that, I think we have an incredibly talented and dedicated team on the ground. Like um, speaking um, of people that have come through the business now, like obviously Sam, myself, you've got John Reilly, Mike Kelly, um, you've got incredibly talented people in the media department in our events. And so day to day, we're working really hard to try and get this um, organization back to the point where one, it uh, it should be and two, it deserves to be. So I would say day to day, it's the people on the ground that are making these decisions um, and, and we're learning as we go. So you're saying, don't blame Hutchie, blame you, blame John, blame people basketball. Who, who should people, when people are angry and yeah. they want to vent, which people yeah. do, if, you, if they're not venting towards that, the Hutchie side, I think, who would you like them to be directing that disappointment towards? Yeah, I think it's a collective, right? You win as a group and you lose as a group. I don't think there's one specific person you can vent towards. Um, so I'd say um, as a collective, like are we, like I said, are we disappointed at four and five where we're at? Yes. Do we think there's better days ahead? For sure. So I think as a collective, I think it's the whole organization. And what I can say is day to day, if you saw the the hours that go into the preparation, both off the court and obviously on the court, um, yeah, I mean, I think when you add up good days, good things are going to happen, and I think I, th- I think better days are definitely coming ahead. So one of the big questions has been around your imports since uh, since you, you took over, from, and from a recruiting point of view, you've got Michael Frazier, Tayshawn Thomas, Brady Manick as the three non-seen imports. You had Vic Law as well and Bryce, yep. but everyone had seen who, who they were and, and knew a fair bit about them. So from the sight unseen ones, you got those three. And there was Corey Webster from a, a big-name signing, given that he had annoyed people by signing and then not coming in the past. They're the, they're the ones who people have, will, will focus in on. How would you mm. um, describe this, their recruitment, and how they performed for the club? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a collective as we recruit. Last year, I was working with Scott and the staff, and this year, we've got John and the staff. Um, so obviously, it's a, it's a group think, and then obviously, John and I will come up and, and, and make our decisions on what we think best fits with the, with the group we have. Um, yeah, the Michael Fraser one obviously didn't work out the way we wanted it. What I would say is we were 14-7 and seven with Michael, and then both him and Mitch Norton had a five-game absence during, and we obviously um, did not get what we wanted at the end of that season. Uh, obviously, we tried to bring in um, John Brown last year, and due to complications with FIBA and, and, and his Russian club, it didn't, didn't happen. So um, that one, unfortunately, didn't work out. I think what you can see with Tayshawn, he's a very talented player who's extremely experienced over in Europe, and we were extremely lucky, we thought, to get him in, into the fold this year in the offseason and both John and I were really really wrapped with how he would fit with both Bryce and the, and the rest of the group and then Brady as you're seeing it's um, you're riding some highs and riding some lows we saw the best of Brady in Adelaide and we've seen um, him adjusting to life as a professional basketball player out of coming out of college so um, but the hope is there's consistency going forward and you know again we're we're nine games into a 28-game season. So I think um, just having patience with it, you know, water finds its level. I mean, Brady's, um, we, we, we have complete faith in him. We obviously have a lot of faith in, in Bryce and Tayshawn and, and obviously the rest of the group with, with the Australians um, going forward. And, and Corey hasn't had the, the season that you probably would have expected at the moment. He's shooting is, uh, from a three-point perspective, especially yeah. is down to lowest levels we've really seen from him in the NBL. He's obviously 33 now. Is, is the challenge for him to be able to, recapture the form that we've seen from playing for New Zealand at this age? For sure. Like, Corey's a pro. He's, like you said, he's 33, turning 34. He's been one of the best guards in the competition over over the last 10, 12 years. Um, And when we had the chance to sign him as a local, 
um, for, for John and I and, and, and the rest of the staff. Uh, it was a no-brainer. Um, Corey's brought incredible experience to our second unit. Um, you've seen, again, the, the ups and downs. You know, he's, I think he's at about 23% from three on the season. Historically, he's 37, 38% three-point shooter. So again, over the 28-game season, we think he's going to find his level. Um, and that's just what you've got to ride. You know, there's inconsistencies, but Corey's a pro. He comes to practice every day. He's, he's added to the group um, incredibly, both on and off the court. And we have complete faith in him becoming a, a huge part of our rotation going forward. Rebounding has been a challenge for the team both last year and, and this year. When you're putting it together, is it easy to fall into the trap of liking one type of player and recruiting that type of player and often missing out on, on another key element? For sure. There's um, there's different ways. You know, We look at our recruiting, obviously rebounding and defensively. We, we, we were trying to improve on last season. Um, you know, we're fifth in defensive rebound percentage at the moment, 10th in offensive rebound percentage. Not where we want to be. Um, part of it's individual and part of it's a collective. So part of it's things we can improve um, as a group um, tactically, and that's, that's John and the staff. And then the other part is individually guys um, going to get going to the glass and, and actually rebounding. Um, and so, you know, you've seen it with Brady in games, Tayshawn, Majuk, all these guys, uh, and then even our guards, you know, as a collective, we've, we've, got to be be, we've got to be better. They know that, we know that, and that's definitely an area of improvement going forward that we're looking for. Recruiting fascinates me, especially with, when you look at the AFL is probably the biggest thing over, over here that we can really assess because they've got one pool. And I work for Essendon and we draft midfielders who are 178 centimetres to 183 centimetres every single year and never have that big-bodied midfielder. Fremantle has struggled to find a key forward because they go and draft other players from all around the field. West Coast always draft big blokes. It feels like clubs or recruiters have a style that they, their eyes are drawn to. Would, your, would it be fair to say your eye is drawn to the athletic shooter necessarily rather than the big, powerful body and a rebounder? I wouldn't say necessarily. I would say, obviously, you're trying to recruit guys that fit into the core that you've already got signed for the next year. Um, I think if, if what comes to mind is obviously skill, basketball IQ, smart players that can fit into a system. And then on top of that, if you're athletic, you have length, um, and, and, and you're quick and fast, like that's, that's a bonus. If you can get the two combined, then you're probably an elite player and we probably don't have a chance at signing you anyway because you're going to be in the NBA or making a lot of money somewhere else. So you've got to give up. There's, you know, th- th- there's pros and cons. You've got to give up something um, when you're recruiting at this level. And so, yeah, you know, we're into year two and, and we're going through that. You're not going to bat a thousand at all. That's exactly what we, you know, I was with Philadelphia in the draft uh, for seven years and you're definitely not batting a thousand in the draft because you're trying to project young prospects um, that are 18 years old and what they might be at 26 or 27. So it, it, it's difficult, not an exact science, but you know, the other part to it, and I think something that Perth has done extremely well over the years and it's something we, we, we definitely take a big part of is, 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 um, is uh, recruiting character. And we feel like we've done that with every player we've brought in since. Um, and so, yeah, that's something that'll, that'll trump a lot of things is like character. And so that's something, like I said, Perth had a history of that. And that's something we continue, we'll, we'll definitely continue to do going forward is, is, is the character side of it and then the skill side of it and combining both. So like when we had John really in earlier this season, we've got a photographer in the studio at the moment. So if you hear some clicking, it's, it's Ian Gillespie taking some photos of Danny. Um, another talking point has been uh, within the team, it's been the personalities of this group. And a lot of them are quite are quiet. How challenging is it to, to work out what sort of a human you're going to get on the court and behind the scenes in just th- their ability to be an extrovert or an, or an introvert, as a lot of these guys would appear to be? 
Yeah, and that's part of the um, the character assessment, right? When you're trying to recruit guys, and obviously we've you have guys that are already on the on the roster, and then you're trying to add to them. And for sure, I, I would say naturally we have a quiet group. I think our leadership group has been fantastic this year. I think. You heard about the players' own meeting they had in Adelaide that really, I think, um, kick-started that, that game and kind of we're hoping that'll carry on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, John's, John's definitely um, a big part of trying to get the character out of those guys. He was pretty flamboyant as a player and pretty vocal, and he, he brings that personality to practice, but it can't just be the coaches. It's got to be the players as well. So that's definitely something um, that, 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 that we take into account. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, they've got to put the ball in the hoop as well. So... And putting that ball in the hoop has been a challenge for some of them this year, as we mentioned statistically. Uh, you need that second scorer to help Bryce or a third or fourth scorer, hopefully like you had in the Adelaide game where everyone contributed. Are you confident that you will that you have the right pieces to be able to pr- protect Bryce a bit with that and not ex- expect him to do as much work that he has been at the moment from a scoring perspective? Yeah, no. I mean, John and I do. Um, obviously, it hasn't come to fruition yet. I think we've had a real balance of scorers. Obviously, Bryce is leading the league. I think it's over 21 points a game again. Uh, and then we drop down to 10. But we do have five guys pretty much averaging double figures and then another three at um, eight. So in terms of the balance, we love the balance and we love all the options. It's just we need to get them all going um, consistently at the same time. So for us, we love the depth of the squad. We love the experience. Um, but it is, you know, we're nine games in. We're still, we're still trying to find our, I guess, our identity on, on both ends, but especially offensively where you've seen where we can be prolific and really shoot the ball and create space. And then there's other times when maybe guys aren't shooting the ball as well and then defenses kind of um, uh, d- defenses double Bryce and he's got to get it out of, out of his hands and it's up to other guys to make a play. When you saw... What was happening with other teams and a lot of talk about Jordan Carolina, Melbourne, and then suddenly Craig Randall leaves mm-hmm. Adelaide and Vondrick Walker leaves Brisbane and all the focus that was on Brady going into that, into that game where he finally goes bang and we all go, he can play. That's great. And he can shoot. And we've, this is the play you've all talked about. How much pressure was it internally to think, are we making the right decision by keeping him or are we making the wrong decision even by trying to even looking around? Like what goes through your head at that point knowing there's a break coming up when you're trying to make all of the right calls for your entire season? Yeah, I think for us with Brady, there was always complete confidence um, he was going to start making shots. And I think for us to put that confidence in him showed in that game against Adelaide. Um, I mean, if you come down, to, I mean, you've been to many practices, you've seen him. Um, Brady's an elite, an elite player, and he puts in the work daily. It's not like something where he's going through um, a rut and he can't make a shot, but he's not coming in. Like he's coming in extra on, on days that he doesn't have to be there. So for us, it was always going to be he was going to get rewarded, um, and it was fantastic to see. And also just to see the guys rally around him. Um, you know, guys, obviously you've seen other teams where maybe guys <clears throat> have underperformed um, and maybe haven't got the support from their team, where I think you've seen it with us, uh, and it's a testament to the group we have as they rallied around Brady. And, um, yeah, we think he's just going to keep going on from here with his um, confidence. And you're, you're obviously you're doing the absolute right thing by backing Brady, and so is John, and, everyone, and you, even if you were going to replace him, you're not going to say you were going to replace him, <laughs> let's face it. You spoke on the podcast last year on March 1 um, when you were flying back from Adelaide, and two weeks later uh, the, the John Brown situation occurred. At that point, you were, when you spoke to us, you were backing Michael Michael Fraser in. But everyone knows that no, just because you back him in on day one doesn't mean they're going to be backed in on day eight because the world can change in so many different ways. When you're going through and thinking, well, there's going to be a cutoff point where we have to make a decision about your roster. How much of a challenge is it to assess your season and know that you have to really always be looking, can we improve, can we improve, can we improve in any way? Yeah, for sure. We're always evaluating the roster. I think we've, we've said that since day one. Um, 
you want the best talent available and you want the best the best fit. And so if there's ever any ways that we can improve the roster, we will. Um, and so we're always evaluate, evaluating that while at the same time, you're going to be supporting the guys that you have on the court. Uh, that's the only way you can do it and the only way you can be successful. Um, but yeah, there's obviously deadlines. The NBL has rules. And so there's a seven game um, period where guys have to play to qualify. And so, yeah, for us, like, you know, whenever that date comes up, we'll continue to evaluate. But until then, um, you know, we're, we're extremely pleased with the guys we have. And we really think that after that Adelaide game, we've got some really good momentum behind us. And uh, we're excited to get on the court uh, Thursday night against Southeast and, and kind of keep, keep going in that direction. In retrospect, what were the lessons that you took from the whole John Brown situation last year? Which a lot of it was out of your control. Like you, you would have expected the FIBA to probably get it done in, within the two weeks that I think you gave them to, to get it done. But what, what, what do you take out from that now as what could have been done better or what, what worked? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it, 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 it's really hard really hard to say it was a situation that was a lot of it was out of our control something we, we wouldn't have expected um, but for sure I think it's the same thing we came into that decision with and the same thing we'll do now is continue to evaluate and um, when you make a decision um, the decision's made and you, and you go forward with it um, you know like I said we're always going to um, continue to evaluate the roster and if we can add pieces that will hopefully that in, in, in our in our minds um, help the team um, get to a different level, then, then we're going to look at it. There's one area of the club which I find really intriguing, which is the, the levels of, of overall experience in positions as opposed to overall experiences in, in the game or in business or in life. So you're a second season GM of basketball operations, but you're very experienced in basketball overseas. John really is a first season head coach, but he's very experienced as, as an assistant coach. Sports Entertainment Group are first season, uh, second season owners, but they're very experienced running media companies and, and had involvement with Melbourne United as well. Sam Photo is in his first season at Wildcats in this position as uh, general manager of commercial or, or head of commercial, I think it is. Brady Mannix, the first season import. So there's lots of people in first or second years in the specific jobs they're doing. Is that collective challenging? Because there's no one who's massively experienced in the actual job they're doing as opposed to the industry that they're in. Yeah, so I think you hit on a couple of points there. I think the one I would stress is the experience overall in the industry, obviously. Um, myself, John, I think you can Mike Kelly, like these, John and Mike were legends of the NBL. They've been around the, and for them to come into a club like Perth, the the ability to come into a program that's got such a history and a legacy that that drew them to this job. Um, myself and myself and Sam, we have history. You know, we're Perth boys. We're WA. Um, <clears throat> state reps growing up we played together at Willerton actually played for the same college not at the same time but both played at Oregon Tech um, and he's obviously got expertise in the business commercial side and then myself um, having having basketball experience overseas um, and so I think there's while there's while there's new faces I would say there's there's a lot of experience in the room uh, and I would say that also brings good ideas fresh ideas um, ways that we can evolve the club um, going forward as well as understanding like I said what we all know, we all grew up around the Wildcats or competed against them like Mike and John, and we, we understand the history of it and what, and what it means to not only the fans, but the state of WA. And so I think there's, there's kind of the best of both worlds in that. Let's talk about pressure. The pressure felt like it was going to explode on this team in that last game last year. We saw it 2016-17 where folks looked ill on the bench when they were just hoping that they would they would win and get through to the finals. We've just seen the Cricket World Cup where South Africa imploded against Netherlands. And they have imploded in every single World Cup since 992. They know that their history is a problem for them, and they if they need to try to find a way to get through that. We saw Collingwood for 
decades, the collie wobbles were a real thing, even though the, the players who were playing in 1988 weren't around in 1971. You know, um, the, the curse of the Bambino with the Boston Red Sox. Every player who stepped up knew that there was there was pressure on them because all that sort of stuff. Your players have always had this pressure on them, but it, it felt like last year they sh- it should have disappeared when the streak went. It feels like it's bigger now. Would you agree that it's uh, that the pressure feels a little bit bigger to make sure that? last year was a one-off rather than a consistent thing? I don't think so. I don't think it's bigger. I don't think it's... These guys are professionals, right? They understand pressure. Obviously, it's heightened at a place like Perth, as it should, and that's why we're all here. That's why we're in these roles. Much better to be in a place like Perth where you have these expectations than going to a place where there are no expectations. So um, for us um, and and, and for the players, is there pressure every game yet? And that's probably not going to go away until success comes. Like So for us, that's that's the motivating factor. How can we get back to that elite level? Um, And that's what we're all building towards day to day, whether it's off the court or on the court. Is there anything you can do for them at the moment? To, I mean, Sandy Gordon's been around the club for a long, long time, helping them from a mental point of view. Is, is he still involved, or is there something else you're doing to try to help them with that constant? You cannot miss finals. You cannot miss finals. Whereas other cl- clubs yeah. can miss the finals, and it isn't the end of the world. Yeah, so we had Sandy, and he'd been around the club for for a long, long time. Uh, we transitioned to Kim Mercer this year. She's the new sports psychologist. Uh, she's been fantastic. She's taken the guys through group sessions and individual sessions, and we we give the players and the staff all the resources they need from a mental health standpoint. Um, you know, that that's something that's that's obviously we have to give as a club, and, and we want to give the players. Um, and so. Um, and then obviously, you know, the staff. I think John and Mike especially um, do a fantastic job of just having the guys understand let's take this game to game as opposed to looking at it as we have to make finals or we have to win a championship let's let's do it day by day game by game and keep building uh, in that sense as opposed to looking at it as, as a macro level the, the recent series oh, the re- recent series of games you had four games in nine days three free, free flights it was going to be hard and history mm-hmm. tells us that the late December to early January period is really tough for this club as well RSC Arena isn't available due to tennis and you're going to be going from Brisbane to New Zealand to Adelaide on December 1, 3 and 9 then you've got two home games followed by Cairns December 20 a break for Christmas and then across 12 days you're in Brisbane Illawarra New Zealand and Sydney that's tough how will you handle that sort of schedule are you going to stay away for extended periods will you constantly fly in and out because what you just had then was really really challenging and it obviously didn't work out from an on-court perspective yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so we, obviously, when we get the schedule every year, we go through with Josh Kavanagh, Sports Performance, Dan Webster, our physio, John, and myself, and we, we look at ways that we can minimise either travel or potentially stay longer on some instead of having to travel back and forth. Obviously, Perth's always at a disadvantage. We're the most isolated and couple of city in the world, aren't we? So uh, obviously, travel's going to be a big factor. Um, and that January, late December, January, um, run of road games is, is tough I think it'll be great it'll test our character actually sometimes being on the road can actually get you closer together as a group um, but yeah we'll go obviously we have Brisbane uh, we'll fly home after that and there's a three game stint so Illawarra New Zealand which is in New Plymouth not actually in Auckland and then back to Sydney before we come home um, and then I think you know we kind of get some of that back where we have three three sets of Friday Sunday games at the end of the season and obviously the last two are at home so yeah you've obviously got to play your 14 away and your 14 at home however they're set out you know we we don't have a lot of control that's 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 the NBL um, and so for us you know it's just a matter of managing it and you know guys like Jesse and Nordo and Todd Blanchfield and Bryce these guys have done this for years so it's nothing new to them.
is New Plymouth like whoop whoop? Like how do you get how do you get to New Plymouth? Do you have to fly to somewhere and then bus it, or is there a second flight once you get to, once you get over there? Yeah, no, th- there is an airport there, um, but yeah, it's definitely obviously not Auckland. It's a smaller stadium. I think it sounds like the Breakers are taking a few of their games regionally, which is really cool. Trying to re- embrace their um, get get back to their fan base through the whole country, but um, obviously we've got one coming up in Auckland, and then our second one will be in New Plymouth. So cool for guys to see a new new part of New Zealand, I guess. Let's address your home fixture. It's it's challenging for fans um, Thursday last week Thursday this week Thursday next week Monday the week, the week after that um, fans were upset in 2018 when the league made it Sunday afternoon games and it was on it became a back page story that the, the crowds were dropping people couldn't get to those sorts of games and we saw a really low crowd for the most recent match do you have any say over when you play when it comes to the NBL fixture or do you just get given what you're given what controls do you have from a requesting point of view as a, in charge of basketball ops no, it's, it, yeah, good question. Um, did, you can put in preferences of when you like to play. Obviously, we want to put in preferences where we're going to maximise attendance and be friendly to f- to fans and members. And for sure, if, if I was if I was a fan, I wouldn't be happy with Thursday games either. But again, that's part of the NBL scheduling that. That's part of their TV TV deal as well. So the Thursday games are unfortunate. Uh, obviously, Monday as well. It's it's not great for um, for for family attendance, but. Um, you know, obviously getting Friday nights and some Saturdays and then Sunday afternoons are, are what we're looking for. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's a bit of both. Obviously, you're dealing with trying to build the game up and they're trying to play over a certain period of time through uh, through the summer. And then what comes with that is them having to play more games over more days. And so you're given some that probably aren't, aren't your preference. So at the moment, fan, you, you, the control is it's not you guys who are saying give us Thursdays. It's the NBL saying you have to play Thursdays. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Three of your four wins so far from a fixturing point of view have been against the bottom th- three teams. You're yet to play Sydney or New Zealand who are going really, really well. Um, they're one and two at the moment and are, are the benchmarks. How concerned are you about the, the inability really to know where you sit against the elite teams when you're in the position you are and you've been playing a lot of the lower teams right now? Yeah, I mean, we saw everyone up in Darwin. So we were up there for a week. We got to see everyone play three times. Um, so for us, what I'd say, I think the league's very, very competitive this year. Obviously, Sydney and New Zealand have got out to great starts, and then you've got a whole group of teams, including us, that are sitting at that 500 mark. We're just a little bit under, but again, we're four and five, and if we, you know, and we're two games out of second place, you know, um, with um, New Zealand being six and three. So I think it's an incredibly close league. I think that's going to continue throughout the whole year. I think you've seen more away teams win than home teams, and just crazy up and downs. You saw Melbourne's weekend where they went up to Cairns and. Lost by a large amount, then went home and, and, and beat Southeast Melbourne by a big amount as well. So it's just, I think it's going to be a season of that. And um, for us, it's about finding consistency, um, obviously at home, uh, especially, and then winning those games on the road and, and trying to find our way into that top two by the end of the season. Do you have any idea about what's going to take to make the playing tournament? It's a really weird thing when you've got six teams this year. 15 wins would have done it last year, but then seventh was on 10 wins. So like, do you look at it all and try to work out what you think will be the, the number? Yeah, I mean, I gave up after last season, to be honest. I mean, trying to guess that. Um, 16 and 12 last year, obviously. So I, honestly, I couldn't. I, th- I think we're just going to take it game by game, um, get above 500, and then, try and, and then try and continue our upward trajectory into that top top two. So today's Tuesday. We went to training today. Luke Travers wasn't there. He was ill, but um, he's, he's looked sore for a while. Didn't go to tra- Kazakhstan. I reckon I've seen him roll his ankle a couple of times. I've seen him cork his calf. Sorry, him get his head split open against Melbourne United. And he's flown around the US for half this year doing a crazy program to get himself drafted and then to play in the Summer League. How's his body? Like, it's been a brutal schedule for him. 
Yeah, I mean his body's fine. I mean Luke's twenty one, so he's you know he, he's young. He's got hasn't got a lot of miles on his legs in terms of a professional sense. But I would say um, for Luke to yeah, I mean we're supportive. Obviously we are. We have the head coach of the Boomers going away every three months for the qualifiers, and Mitch and Todd have been um, big big parts of those groups as well. So for for Luke to make the decision to um to to just step away for this trip and and, and take some rest, you know, it's, it's it's a chance where you could have these twelve days and just get your body some rest. He hasn't really had a break since the start of last season, like you said, played a whole year, um, and then w- with a lot of pressure on him as as a young guy with you know draft ambitions, then going to the states, spending eight weeks of draft prep, getting drafted, staying over for summer league, and then coming back, and then they. Debuting for the Boomers before coming back to us um, this season, and he's had a fantastic start to the year. So, for us, um, we're always supportive of our players playing for the national team. Um, but for Luke, we thought it was yeah a, a, a great chance for him to get some get some extra rest before the you know the rest of the season kicks off. You mentioned yourself and Sam Foto before. As I said playing basketball together at the same club, uh, then going to the same same college, which is unique. And now and now being in charge of this club, you get to talk to people about what your day to day roles are and what and what because you, you mentioned before, obviously you got the people who are here and you got Hutchie who's over there not looking after the club. But effectively, it's you guys. So what do you guys do day to day in terms of what the basketball operations role is and what he's doing? Yeah, it's similar setup to what we've had. Uh, obviously, Sam's come in, um, highly respected businessman. I've known him personally, and to actually get to uh, to get back and actually get to work with him now is really exciting. Uh, he's so he's got a role as general manager of business and admin, and I'm a general manager of basketball. So we've got two separate parts of the business, uh, and he's leading that, and I'm and I'm leading basketball. But we work very collaboratively together, and and Sam is that. Sam's brought this whole organisation together. And it's been fantastic, you know. Um, so going forward, I, I see nothing but, but but good things happening. We've got a lot of things coming up. And, um, you know, we're going through this thing together, supporting each other. And, um, you know, we've got fantastic teams under us that are, that, that are um, supporting the whole organisation. You two are part of the decision today to select Sean Reddidge as, as a retired jersey, which is fantastic news for the team and, and for him. Um, how thrilled were you to be able to make that public? It's unbelievable, yeah. I mean, for, for someone like Sean... Um, what an amazing career he's had and this is just part of that journey I mean very well deserved to have his banner put up with those other legends up there is just really exciting and so one for Sam I mean Sam played with him at Bendigo so that's another cool story to it you know very close knows his family really well Um, so to see all that come together uh, and to have Andrew Vlahov obviously in the room and present it to him as a legend of the club I think is just a fantastic fantastic thing for the club so you got that. You got the pink game coming up in another week's time, but obviously Thursday night first and foremost. Uh, you've, your fans have—it's been an interesting season. Let's, let's face it. What's your message to the fans at the moment? Yeah, stick with us. I mean, there's going to be ups and downs. Uh, like I said, proce- uh, you know, progress isn't linear. It, it, we're going to have to ride it. You know, we're, we're coming together as a group again. There's been a lot of change on and off the court. But we feel like we have the right structure to get this thing going. Um, and I know the guys are putting in the work every single day on the court. Um, and for sure, I mean, we're all excited about Thursday night and going forward for the rest of the season. So championship still the goal? Always the goal. Well, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. It's always good to, to, to chat. It's, been, it's no understatement to say it's been tough for the club. And we've certainly hit pressure on you well, well and truly. So I'm glad you've been prepared to come in and have a chat. Really hope things go well and your fans get out there on Thursday night against Southeast Melbourne Phoenix.
Anytime, Craig. Thanks. Now, Perth Lynx fans, we aren't, we aren't ignoring you guys. Uh, your fixture has just been challenging in terms of getting guests in. They have games on Wednesday nights. They train. They have meetings all day Tuesday. So it's been difficult getting them in um, to the studio or getting them on the phone. So uh, we will be attempting to get some guests from them in the coming weeks. Hopefully you enjoyed the feature on the Amazing Lynx Bloodlines, connecting the club to the West Australian Footy League, which was on the back page of the paper the other day on Saturday and also inside. So if you haven't had a look, uh, make sure you go online and see all that about Amy Atwell, who's the granddaughter of WA Football Hall of Famer Mel Atwell. Jesse Edwards' dad is a Sandover medalist. And Emma Gandini's dad won a premiership with Swan District. So that's all online. And they were all terrific on the weekend. They play the Sydney Flames at the Bendak Basketball Centre on Wednesday night. So that's it for the Drill Podcast this week. Thank you to Danny Mills for coming in. Really appreciate his time. Uh, remember, you can read all of your basketball news in the West Australian newspaper and keep logging on to thewest.com.au. As usual, thank you to the magnificent Kate Ryan for all her production work. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Drill Podcast. Yes.